My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In today's episode, we have an amazing treat for you. Our guest is none other than Martin Split, Webmaster Trends Analyst at Google. And we also have J.R. Oaks, Senior Director of Technical SEO Research at Adapt Partners, joining us as a special guest host. We discuss Martin's background, how he got to Google, what working at the Big G is actually like, discuss the challenges he runs into day-to-day, what it's like being a Google public-facing employee, as well as his amazing, amazing pink hair. We then dive into JavaScript and tackle some Google Search Console questions, so get your popcorn ready for a magical episode. Before we begin this episode, I just wanted to apologize in advance. We had a little bit of a technical problem uh, with some of the audio. Uh, We've done our best to clean most of it up and it should be fairly good, but you'll probably notice it a little bit throughout the episode. Uh, Just a little peek behind the curtains. We utilize Zoom uh, for now uh, to record most of our video conferences and uh, for the most part it works pretty well and the audio and the video comes through pretty clean, but when we have guests that are um, in faraway places, as is the case in this episode. Sometimes it gets stretched a little bit thin, uh, and it is heavily based on internet connections, uh, and there's just uh, a lot going on, and sometimes this leads to uh, to issues with the audio, issues with the, with the video, and, and some glitching. So there is a little bit of that. We've edited as much as we can out. Uh, But you will notice it, and for that, we apologize in advance. We're looking uh, for uh, a solution, and we're going to uh, find a solution that gets this all cleaned up going forward in the future. But the episode is awesome, so uh, please enjoy, and uh, again, forgive us in advance for some of the audio. Hey everybody, this is Jacob Stoops and we are back with another episode of the Page 2 podcast and today um, we have an extra special edition. Um, We've got obviously myself and Jeff, uh, but we've got also featured uh, co-host, former former interviewee J.R. Oaks joining us. Hey guys. And then we've got none other than Mr. Martin Split of Google. (laughs) Also joining us, hello. Very, um, very excited, and and this is the first time that we've ever had uh, four four people doing kind of <laughs> roundtable round discussions. So it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be very interesting. And what what we're the hallmark of this show, in case you haven't listened, in case you don't know, is kind of the the origin story uh, of of great SEOs, the trials, the tribulations. It's certainly knowledge sharing, but the, the core of the show is what SEOs go through kind of on a day-to-day basis. And this episode, I think, is going to be kind of turning it that on its head because Martin's not, Martin talks about SEO a lot, but Martin's not necessarily an SEO. But I think what we 
Um, what we often um, don't think about, especially in the SEO, SEO community, um, is people like Martin, people like Gary and John, um, very public facing. Um, sometimes I always ask, I wonder where they came from. I wonder how they got to Google. I wonder what it's, what it's like. Um, so those are the questions we're going we're gonna to ask today. So um, without kind of burying the, the lead, um, Martin, if you wouldn't mind just like telling us where, where did you come from? How did you get to Google? What do you, what do you like to do? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, as you said, I'm Martin Spitz, and I am in John's team, and I am not a classical web, uh, sorry, a classical SEO. I'm a web developer, actually. And um, where do I come from? That's a, that's a fantastic question. I keep asking myself that. It's like <laughs> one of the most most frequently asked questions that I ask myself, like, who am I and why is like the, probably the top top two questions. And that's like, where do I come from? Uh, I'm from Germany originally, northern Germany. Um, yeah, I was like programming as a fun little hobby and uh, eventually turned that into a job and then studied and then continued working as a developer. Um, burned out, yay! Uh, did a bunch of other stuff as well and then came back to uh, life as a developer. I've worked for smaller startups. I've run my own agency. Um, which is where I burned out. Fantastic. It's great. It's a fantastic idea to run your own business with other people together when you have no leadership experience as a young, young guy, smart plan, not. Um, yeah. Then uh, have done SEO as part of the job as in like working for an agency in projects, you should at least like know some bits and pieces to be able to make like reasonable, um, recommendations. I work with SEOs. I work with good SEOs. I work with bad SEOs. I work with good developers. I work with bad developers. I've seen how different people can like basically give you very different results and very, very different uh, atmosphere in a team and culture in the team. And um, yeah, so I, I was usually the oddball because I was the one who's like, well, we are not built as, for developers. I'm sometimes a little tricky because I'm like, yeah, the, all the, all of this stuff that we are building is cool and I appreciate the engineering effort, but we are not building because we like the engineering effort and the challenge. We're not like doing a puzzle here. What we're trying to accomplish is deliver value to a user, to a customer. And, um, on the same side, that's also what I'm trying to like, or what, why I was trying to bring back to the, to the SEOs on the team, um, especially as usually there were heated discussions on prioritization and where we should spend our time and what's the biggest bang for the buck. And then developers are like, we should just refactor this into a new programming language. And I'm like, no, that's not the, pro like, the problem we would be solving. It's not the problem we are having. And then SEOs are like, we should just not use JavaScript. And I'm like, well, no, that's also not really the problem we are having because we are not having JavaScript in the first place. So like, what, what is this discussion? Where is this coming from? Um, and other things, amongst other things, like, oh, we need to get, I don't know, we need to get our time to first byte a lot lower. And I'm like, it's already at like a second. So like, what's the point here? And yeah, that eventually led to a Google recruiter to reach out and going like, hey, would you be interested in a job at the web platform, uh, sorry, web, web content ecosystem team. And I'm like, what's the web content ecosystem team? And then I had an interesting discussion with the, with the recruiter. Then uh, I went to, because I'm, I'm living in Zurich anyways, and the Google offices in Zurich that John and the team works from, 
uh, or most of the team anyway. And uh, I mean, Gary is like everywhere and uh, Lizzie, our tech writer is in, in the US. But uh, I went to lunch, have lunch with everyone and um, we talked about a bunch of stuff, but I somehow, I don't know, I didn't ask that many questions. I asked a few questions, did get really confusing answers. Like, what's your normal day like? And they're like, oh, that depends, as you know. And, uh, but for all seriousness, like I now understand that every day is very, very different and very hard to predict. And uh, yeah, then they made me an offer after all the interviewing and I was happy with the offer. And then I joined the team and I asked John after I, I got the offer, before I signed the offer, I asked him, so here is people with, I don't know how many decades of experience in both the internals of Google search and the realities of SEOs. Why me? Because I was so different from everyone else, I felt at least. And then I realized, no, we are not that different. We both value, or all of us value the fact that we can help people be successful in the web platform and we want the web platform to succeed as, a, as an ecosystem and as a platform. And uh, well, there was the, the view of a web developer. I have and I still am building things with web technologies. Um, and yeah, not 10 years ago, not five years ago, but today basically. So yeah, that was an interesting challenge. And there was like a lot of challenges that we went through this year, a lot of challenges last year, and there's a lot more challenges up the road. So that's really, really interesting. And when I'm not programming, um, I'm either doing like magic tricks or diving or play computer games, or I don't know, just hang out with people. <laughs> so. I, I've got two questions and then I want to let the other guys kind of jump in and have their opportunity to pepper you with questions. Um, one being, what is it like to, to be in front of the curtain, so to speak, since to, to use a magic analogy, uh, when, when you were not a part of Google, <laughs> right? And now that you're kind of behind the curtain and you've had a little peek and, and you can see how the, um, I don't want to say tricks, that's, that's a bad thing to say, but for the, for the sake of the magic analogy, now that you can see how the tricks are done, what is your perspective or how has your perspective changed uh, being outside versus now kind of being inside the organization? I love to answer with the magic analogy. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen Penn and Teller's cup and balls routine. I have not. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So the cups and balls is probably like one of the oldest magic routines where you have uh, three cups and what seems to be three balls. And then you like put a ball under the thing and then like do a move and then it, it, it disappears from here and reappears somewhere else. And uh, they, they perform this with uh, the classical disposable red plastic cups and aluminum foil uh, balls. And then they do the same trick again, but this time with like, they show you where they put all the extra balls that they need for the, for the trick and they use uh, transparent um, cups. And you could think, oh, but that's gonna ruin the trick because you know how it's done. And even if you like, if you literally learn how the trick is done, you know exactly the moves, you know exactly what you need to look for. And if you, if you pay really, really close attention, you do see it and you do know how it's done, but it still is impressive and beautiful and challenging to A, catch all the moves and B, um, just like follow the, the routine. And you, can, you, can, you, can, you get to choose, right? I can sit back and enjoy what people are doing as in like, I can see when someone puts out a really nice and interesting uh, uh, like study or experiment 
um, I can enjoy when people are working together and creating better things on the web. And I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted to, to encourage and, and uh, empower. But I can also literally just go like, oh, okay, well, I, I see what you've done here and I've seen where you have gone off track or I can see where you have done the move that is not so great. <clears throat> let, us, let us make sure that we are not falling for this move the next time. Or also, when, I like it when people re report problems, mm -hmm. but only when they have really researched that it is an actual problem. Because most reports are like, oh, we have this problem and we think it's rendering. And I'm like, let me have a look. No, it's not rendering. Thanks. Um, but sometimes people do voice concerns or problems or challenges that we know of, or sometimes also we don't know of, and then we work on resolving them. Um, and that's, that's interesting because then I get to actually learn the magic trick and I might learn a new trick that I haven't known before or I haven't seen before. And I can actually make things better and I can make it better, not just for me, but on, or only for Google, I can make it better for everyone who might face the problem. So that's really, really exciting. On a personal level, um, one of the things that I've always been curious about as uh, I think I think back all to Matt Cutts um, and, and once he kind of left the scene, John uh, kind of came more to the forefront and then Gary and now you're now yourself. Um, and sometimes what comes with that, especially um, from the SEO community is a lot of, a lot of heat sometimes, uh, sometimes unnecessary. And I think that there are times when people expect a lot of information and a lot of giving from, from you guys, but don't also take the time to consider that you're people too. And I just wonder what has that been like for you kind of stepping a little bit more up into, into the public spotlight, just personally. Yeah. Um, so I have been a public speaker beforehand. I have been active in many different communities beforehand. Uh, so that, that wasn't that much of a step up. Uh, I mean, sure, if you're associated with Google, you have a lot more coming your way than usual. But I'm, I don't know. Um, one of the things that I think I'm still drawing from was my experience. Uh, when I was 16, I actually wanted to become a nurse. So I did like an internship uh, as a nurse. And that teaches you some perspective. Um, you like honestly if if things get heated and there is some substance to it I ignore the heat as much as I can because it doesn't help me uh, it doesn't accomplish anything it is pointless it is pointless to shoot back because if I shoot back then what's the point I get more shit back I'm human so every now and then I do lose my cool that obviously happens uh, so I wouldn't say like oh yeah I'm just floating uh, like above everything no that's not what I'm a human like you and me and everyone else is and uh, obviously I have bad days where I'm like okay cool like what do you want me to do here like look at the options screw this uh, but most of the times I'm like okay I, I, I cut through the heat I look at if there is some substance to it if there is some substance to it then I I caused the problem uh, or I miscommunicated something, then I own up to it like an adult should uh, and apologize for it and then like see that I can make it better. If there is just heat for the sake of heat or because someone has some personal agenda that they need to further, then I just step away from the computer because it's pointless. It's just yeah. absolutely pointless. Um, so I'm like, yeah, that's Twitter for today. Let's see if I come back a couple <laughs> of days later because like, or I just choose to completely ignore that person and just go like, yeah, whatever, let them shout. 
that's cool. I'll have the people that I actually care for and like who have my back and are honest and level-headed towards me. And then I have a conversation with them rather than the, the hot heads and that's okay too. I'm not anyone's babysitter and I'm not anyone's target. And if, if they think that I should be one of these things, then they are wrong and Godspeed. That's just part of the job and uh, it's part of humans and yeah. That's a great perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, JR, jump in. You've, you've been quiet thus far. I've been, I've been doing yeah. a lot of the talking. <laughs> no, that's all good. So, I mean, I think as an SEO, not all of us, but a lot of us have like the dream of, you know, Google one day is going to reach out to us and say like, <laughs> we need you to come work for our, our company. And, and you actually kind of, you know, live that dream a little bit. Um, it's funny. I had a little story where I did have a recruiter reach out to me and I failed miserably on the, the interview test because it was not at Google's headquarters. <laughs> it was at like some mm. campus office and I'm like in Seattle and I was like, Oh, I don't want to be in Seattle. I want to be at the headquarters and um, <laughs> just my reaction to it. it that, that's what I thought in my head. My reaction, I guess, you know, said that also. <laughs> um, so it didn't go much further than that. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I know working at Google can't necessarily be easy. There's a lot of amazing smart people there. So what are some of like the challenges you go through on like a daily basis of just being part of the, the big G and, and things like that? Hmm, that's a really good question. So generally speaking, I have to say uh, most people are really nice and uh, very, very humble. Um, I mean, you know, John, John is not like, hello, here's me, John Muller. He's just like very nice, very friendly um, and yeah. like trying to help everyone out. It's really, really nice um, to work with him. Uh, pretty much that's my experience with most of the Googlers. And then that's only awesome. afterwards you figure out like, hold on, wait, aren't you the person who, oh, interesting. They're, they're like down to earth, nice people. Um, and I think that's very important. Uh, and a lot of it is just like, it's a job. I mean, what are the struggles that you have in your job? So for instance, I have my conversations with accounting every now and then um, over random stuff. Like, I don't know. Recently, Lufthansa changed their billing system to do a very stupid thing that makes everything more complicated when you book additional luggage. And then it's like, hey, what are you trying to do here? And I'm like, as I said in the comments, this is what happens. And then they're like, oh, oh, we didn't see that. Sorry. Yeah. But now you're like, your expenses are in a little late. So you have to like refile them next week latest. And I'm like, but I'm on vacation. I don't have a company, like a, a corporate device with me. And then they're like, oh, oh, that's bad. And probably your company <laughs> credit card will be blocked. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm traveling next, like the week after I come back, I'm traveling somewhere for work. So they're like, oh, it's tough luck. Um, so it's, it's like these small things where like, uh, but I guess like that's normal, like that happens yeah. everywhere and that's not really a challenge. I think the real challenge that we have at Google is, uh, challenges are Google scale is very different from most of the things that you normally, uh, ever run into. Like I remember when I would deal with a bug, I think in our like largest customer, if I would deal with a bug that would, um, hit a certain percentage of users that would still just be like, let's say a few thousand people. If we do something that breaks a percent of the websites that we index, then that's like a 
really large number, right? So right. that's something that we have to be very, very careful about. So for instance, when, when we updated the, the Googlebot, I'm like, yay, uh, and we're gonna update the, the user agent string, right? But oh no, right, I, I think like the conversation went like this. Oh, right, we have rolled out the, the experiment, so we should be seeing SEOs like blogging this, like at, at some point noticing this, right? Because of the user agent. And then the, Zoe from the rendering team, uh, who I did the IO talk with as well, She's like, no, no, they're not going to see it in the server logs. And I'm like, why not? Because we're not changing the user agent string. And I'm like, why? Is, wait, what? Why not? That, that's like, that's an easy fix. And she's like, oh, yeah, we could do it like this. It's just we would break a lot of websites. And I'm like, right. oh, okay. Do we know how many? And she's like, well, right now it's a hypothesis, but we'll, we'll try it out. And then we can basically what we can do is we can run experiments in, let's call it like a developer copy of a part of the index. Uh, and then uh, we can see how the indexing decisions uh, or like the, the rendering outcome would look like. So basically we can run part of the pipeline uh, uh, separately from the real thing to see what would happen, hypothetically speaking. Um, and we saw, yeah, a bunch of these websites would come out broken if we would do this. Oh, fudge. <laughs> uh, and that's why we said that we're going to update the user agent string at IO. And then we said it again when we updated the tools. And then we said it again, I think like a month ago or something in the blog post. And then in December, we hopefully will be at a point where we can update the user agent string. Um, so these are things where you're like, ah, okay, this is a lot more complicated than if we would be small and like no one would care. As a startup, you get away with that, right? It's like, oh yeah, we just like, broke the thing for a hundred customers. Nah, we're in free beta, whatever. No one cares. Yeah. We can't, Google search is being relied on by people. Um, yeah, it's an important source of traffic. We can't just gamble that. We are very, very aware of this. That's awesome. The second big challenge that we are dealing with, um, or I personally deal with is that the process behind the scenes is very involved because actually building a search engine is very complicated um, and we have built this amazing infrastructure that is huge and um, as, as is usually has a lot of moving parts so when we are talking about it we have to simplify it and then usually I have a certain context in mind it's like okay I want to explain how it works for new sites or new pages that we haven't discovered before and I want to look at the example of one page going through the process, then this is, this is roughly what happens. And that's correct. The problem is there are edge cases that I do not factor into this. I remember like, putting up a slide from a presentation with a very simplified view of Googlebot, of Google, how Googlebot uh, processes things. And then someone's like, yeah, but what about robots.txt? And I'm like, dude, yes, uh, good point. But no, that's not what this diagram is about. Uh, if you think that this diagram is the whole truth, then you are mistaken. It, there is a context to it. It's useful in a very limited context. If you're taking it out of that context, yeah, right? Um, and oftentimes people don't know and people don't notice either, and that's great. But sometimes people take things out of context and then go like, so this is happening, right? And then you're like, ah, no, that's not true. Um, and what I observe both with SEOs and developers is that they then like, they, they ask you a question, you answer that question. And then if it's not matching their hypothesis, then they are trying to push their hypothesis as a fact. And I'm like, 
what do you want from me? Like, I can agree with you, but then we are both wrong. So like, what's, what's, what's your goal here? <laughs> That's sometimes tricky, but I understand that from the outside. So I'm trying to share as much as I can, but some things that I can share pol policy-wise, as in like, no one cares if I disclose that or not. It's just, I know that if I disclose that, a lot of people will be confused, it will be misrepresented, it will be used to do more harm than it would do good to disclose this information. So that's a really, really tricky balance to strike. And sometimes I get it wrong, and that's tricky then. But luckily, everyone is very forgiving, <laughs> um, at least on our side. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's like a huge challenge to figure out what's the right abstraction uh, and where can we actually like do something useful uh, for webmasters? That's awesome. No, I mean, it, it, that scale in general just frightens me. I mean, I, I have some clients that may be getting a couple million visits a day, um, but that's just like a second for you guys. So. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely wild. I was completely mind blown. I was querying a data set at some point and I was, I'm used to writing SQL for reasonably sized databases. And I wasn't aware of the size of the database that I was looking at. And I'm like, all right, this, this query is still running. I'm going to have lunch. I came back from lunch and it was still like not done. I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm going to select star. Like, more, more or less like, yeah, yeah, it was like a complex join over multiple tables. And it was like, okay, this has now queried 115 with it or like a hundred, like, what was it like 500 million data sets and it's still not done yet. So I should probably like kill this. Uh, so yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Then I'm like, hand this to a data scientist because I literally can't run, I can't even run the query that I contrived. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, um, with, uh, so I mean, Google has been around since 1998. Is that right? 2098? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I think everyone thinks of Google as like the most cutting edge company in probably the world. Um, but it's like, I imagine like you the government that has like machines still running on DOS, right. From <laughs> like 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, I, I guess, are there any interesting things there, uh, within Google? Because I mean, it, I, I'm, it, you guys have built kind of a, and maybe you can't, or can't talk to this. I don't know, but it's like, you built like this layer upon layer upon layer of different search and processes and everything. Uh, so, I mean, are there other um, kind of like an old legacy system there that uh, nobody really understands anymore? I mean, do you have those types of issues within Google? I, I think we don't have an issue of systems that no one understands, but we do have a bunch of legacy systems. Um, but interestingly enough, not necessarily in the core product. So, for instance, for search, a lot of the stuff uh, gets ported or rewritten or moved to new infrastructure. So like we do not have anything running on DOS or something like that because uh, our infrastructure team basically has certain migration windows. One of the reasons that uh, Search Console did like a huge move and the entire new Search Console came about was that they, they had to. Uh, a bunch of the infrastructure that they were running on was turned down in September. Okay. So it's like... We don't have a choice. In two years' time, this infrastructure will not exist anymore. So we have to move to something else. And then they had to migrate. And then it's like, well, if we are touching this code anyway, we might as well rethink a bunch of stuff and then like 
uh, redo our infrastructure. Yeah. That's why uh, it has changed quite dramatically. Um, but on the other hand, we have a bunch of software that is not necessarily considered like crucial or necessarily updated. So for instance, we are not really using Git internally. So developers these days are all on Git and running happily ever after. Um, I think like some people are still using Mercurial, but it's pretty much like a, a, the, the game has, has shifted to Git and everyone's using Git for version controlling uh, software or software source code. Uh, and we're not. We internally have a system that's called Google 3 and it's running on, I don't even know how the thing is called that it's actually running on. And then there's like a bunch of, of client infrastructure on top of it. And there's like a layer of abstraction that, that gives you like some sort of access, but that's terribly complicated to use. So someone built a layer of abstraction on top of it, which is now being deprecated and a new one being put in place. And I'm like, honestly, to me, it's a different whenever I create a new workspace in one of the systems. And I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. For me, nothing else changes. The interface stays the same. It's just like, yes, please, do the thing, whatever that means. Like, I'm not touching it. But I guess, like, the software engineers probably who really touch it every day are probably very excited about the new thing. Um, but, yeah, so, like, we, we are stuck with the internal systems, and uh, they work all right. Uh, we have our own bug tracker uh, that I'm also not interacting with because I'm using a different front end for it. A bunch of, like, legacy stuff that exists. And I think um, the, if I were to name <coughs> one thing of software that hasn't really changed much, it's probably the robots.txt parser. I think that mostly, like in, it might have, have expanded or like been updated, but it's, I think it's pretty much the same code as far as Gary goes. Uh, okay. I, I should check with Gary if that's true, but I think that's like a thing. Yeah. So before we jump into, um, into JavaScript, uh, which I know JR is chomping at the bit on, I have to ask one, <laughs> one thing. Um, your hair is amazing, and it's kind of your, your signature. Where did it, where did it come from? Thank you. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> oh, the hair. Um, so in my youth, I wanted to try out blue hair, and I went to a hairdresser, and I had it dyed blue. And it didn't, it turned out purple and it was not great and uh, I wasn't happy with it. So I, eventually I wanted to give it another go, but I, I couldn't really like, it went to the back of my head, never really thought about it until a coworker of mine, uh, before I joined Google actually, a coworker of mine uh, came into the office with like beautiful, brightly colored rainbow hair. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so envious. This is amazing. This is really beautiful. Where did you get it done? And she's like, Oh, just, you know, um, here in Zurich in this one place. And I'm like, oh, my God. Does that mean that we have a hairstylist available in Zurich that can do this? Um, but I didn't have long enough hair for it to be really, like, the, to get, like, a gradient or something, you have to have, like, some certain, I guess, like, this is probably the minimum length that you should have for And I wanted gradient. So I'm like, hmm, that means I need to grow my hair, which is annoying because there's a certain length of hair between like here and there probably where it's like super annoying because it's too short to put it behind the ear, but it's long enough to get into your eye. And ah, that was just very, very annoying, uh, a very annoying period. But then once it was long enough uh, around September last year, uh, I decided, all right, now it's time. Let's, let's get this done. And then I looked around on Instagram a little bit for inspiration. I'm like, okay, cool. 
So this green blue thing is actually quite beautiful. So I'll try that. And then I tried that and it was pretty great. But then our producer said, uh, actually, no, hold on. That was, that was the first time. Uh, then I recolored my hair into like a really, really colorful bunch without a gradient that looked okay, but wasn't really what I was in for. And I'm like, okay, I have to redo my hair anyways, because I, I went diving and uh, seawater basically sucks the color out of your hair. That's just what happens. Mm. I was blonde afterwards. And I'm like, hmm, I look like a surfer boy. I still look like a surfer boy on my certification card. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, no, I have to get this colored. And then I said that in the office aloud. And our video producer went like, do not do what you did last time. Do not do the blue-green thing. And I'm like, oh, why not? Oh, we're going to record next year. We're going to record a bunch of stuff. Um, oh, sorry, not this year. We're going to record a bunch of stuff in front of a green screen. If you have green in your hair, we have a huge problem. And I'm like, aha, right. So green is out of the question. Um, I wanted to do blue-green. What other gradients with blue look good? And then I saw this amazing gradient between blue and hmm. pink is a bit of a bold move, but I think, why not? And then I talked to my hairstylist and he's like, like something that I would try as well. If like, that sounds reasonable, let's do it. And then we did it. And then it came out like this and I'm really happy how it turned out. Nice. <laughs> did you ever think of doing some Google colors? Blue, that red, orange. That entails green. <laughs> the, the green is the problem. Oh, the green's the hard part. Yeah. yeah. The green is the issue where, where our producer, Anna, would be like, why did you do this? <laughs> well, the green's just the L, yeah, right? So it's just the smallest part. Anymore. <laughs> fair enough but yeah so that's how cool so came to be. We, we we did a lot about your history and, and getting into google um i mean we did want to talk to you a little bit more about like javascript and seo and, and things like that and i came from an old seo background where i pretty much told all my clients stay away from javascript <laughs> I, like <laughs> javascript's great for functionality and things like that but you know running javascript like if you want to rank well stay away from JavaScript. And, and there's still a little bit in me that says that. <laughs> I know that, I, I mean, the ties have changed. Googlebot has changed. Um, I mean, up to a couple of years ago, I think I was still right by recommending staying kind of away from the things. Um, and I still think a lot of people do it wrong, right? So um, they'll come in and they'll use a, a framework. You know, it doesn't matter which one it is. They implement it poorly. We don't really get a great... Um, uh, experience. Maybe we get a good user experience, but Google does not get a good user experience because URLs don't change or something like that. Um, mm. So I, I wanted to just chat a little bit about this and, and kind of what are some of the um, ways that we could be using JavaScript, um, whether it's JavaScript frameworks and stuff that could be friendly for you know SEO in general. Um, mm -hmm. I know with the new evergreen Googlebot, uh, we, we do have a better JavaScript rendering engine. Um, so I guess like over the next kind of the rest of this podcast is figuring out what are some of the do's and some of the don'ts. And um, because I want to evolve, I want, I think everybody wants to use like JavaScript frameworks mm -hmm. are awesome. Um, and it's like, I don't want to be scared of, you know, Hey, we need to use, you know, pre-render IO or something like that to be able to get what we need because um, I'm in the job of traffic um, and, you know, web designers and developers are in the job of making a website cool. So I, I want to unite with them instead of fight with them and figure out, yeah. like, what's the best way we can do this. So, like, what are some of the biggest myths about right now with JavaScript and SEO that you know? Oh, there's so many. Um, so, like, so the first thing that makes me very 
twitchy is when people are like, do not use JavaScript or do use JavaScript for everything. And I'm in this fantastic position where I'm telling developers who are like, JavaScript, all the things. I'm telling like, hold on, not a great idea. It's one tool that does certain things very well and does not do other things well. So like, you have to pick the right tool for what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and then on the SEO side, SEOs are like, JavaScript is terrible and it's like the worst thing ever and do not touch it. You should stay away from JavaScript if you ever want to rank. And I'm like, hold on, it's a tool. It can be used for good. It can be done right. Um, and, and then you can get interesting and good results. Um, so like I'm in, in between the two camps, it seems. And sometimes that is quite stressful, especially when you get yelled at over the internet or in person. And uh, these... The, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, where I get very nervous is when people are like doing everything just because they it's more convenient for them as developers. It's like, oh yeah, I, I learned how to do this with this framework. And then they just like do it every single time, no matter what they are trying to build. And I remember vividly a situation where I was in a consultant role. I, I mean, like I was in a company, uh, but we were not the team building the thing. We were the team consulting the other teams uh, with our experience. And we caught wind of a less experienced um, team of developers were tasked uh, with building the new company website. And that was a off-the-shelf dynamic website. There was literally nothing dynamic on it. Nothing. Nada. However, they have built web applications, uh, single-page applications with a certain framework. So this team now saw their opportunity with this new project to finally get on the train and also use this amazing framework. And they, they were so fast in building the website using that framework. And I'm like, yes, but you haven't really used any of the framework's functionality because what you're building is not a single page web app. What you're building is a website, literally that. It's a website where people come for information, they click on a link and then they go. That's like they, they click on that link, the, the page loads, they get the information, that's it. That's the entire interaction that we need to build. Yeah, but look at this. Now we have like these nice transitions between the pages. And I'm like, cool. Um, I see that, but we have so many problems. And there were so many issues with this. Uh, SEO being one, and then like they ignored our advice and then the website tanked and searched and then everyone got angry and then the look turned to us like, why didn't you prevent this? And we're like, we did. It's in like, we tried. They just ignored us and overrode our decision. So good job. Um, I guess every SEO there has a horror story like that where Definitely. you would like work with a client and then they go with whatever they think was the right thing to do based on developer's experience. And yeah. Um, and developer experience is important. Don't get me wrong. Like if you are forcing something horrible on your developers, they're going to quit. And eventually there's a certain self-selecting mechanism and then you might not end up with the people you necessarily want to end up with. Um, and that's, that's not great either. And it's not great for your users. It's not great for you. It's not great for the developers. Everyone loses. Not a good idea. But you have to understand what you're trying to build and then you have to have tools to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And I think uh, these days, a lot of people, I like that, uh, that JavaScript made it a lot easier for a lot of people to build cool stuff without having to wait for uh, some backend infrastructure to catch up with it or uh, like to 
I don't know, like using just using the latest and greatest browser features, all that is amazing. And we, we lowered the barriers for people to make stuff on the web. And I, I think that is amazing as well. It's just that I would wish for the people who are making the things that people are picking up, like JavaScript frameworks, to be a little more considerate in terms of what they are building for whom. Um, and you can observe that in, in the React world, uh, Next.js and Gatsby, they actually care a great deal. They are trying to help, especially smaller companies and startups, um, to, to quickly put something on the web. And they understand that discovery is an important aspect of putting something on the web, right? And then you can like or start to disagree or argue and, and agree on, on what is a non-functional, what is a functional um, uh, requirements. So for instance, you can say like, well, if it doesn't display anything within, I don't know, let's be uh, conservative within 10 seconds and it's broken. But you can also say if it's not showing up in crawlers, it's broken. We need that discovery. If we are just building for ourselves, then we are not building for anyone outside of this office. And then what's the point? And I think a lot of people misunderstand that or dis discard that too early. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this SEO is like an add-on that you put on, on at the end of the, the game. Um, similar to accessibility as well, or performance. Agreed. Oh, we built a version and then we're gonna make it great. Never happens. And I don't understand, like we don't do that elsewhere. Not like, oh yeah, car, and then we just like add some more metal sheets to it and then it's gonna become a Corvette. That's not happening. We just build it right from the beginning or we, we build a thing, a prototype, doesn't work, throw away, build again. I don't know why we think that with software we can just like bolt on parts and then it's going to be fine. Um, and I think like the biggest don't is to not consider um, at least concept rendering. And when I say server-side rendering, I don't mean a like dynamic rendering, that's a workaround. We have never said it's not a workaround, it is a workaround. Um, or B, entirely server-side render and come out with a static website. Not, none of these are necessarily the things that you need to do. What I want people to do is reduce the amount of JavaScript that you run in the browser for the very simple reason that JavaScript is more expensive than anything else on your website. That's just a fact. 100 kilobyte JavaScript are probably taking longer to actually get to the end result than 100 kilobytes of image or video. And that is because the entire JavaScript has to be downloaded and then it can be parsed and then it can be executed and then whatever it does actually comes to fruition. Whereas HTML can be basically as it arrives. We don't have to wait for the entire HTML to come down, then parse it and then display it. So there's a fantastic uh, article on the, um, on the developer, Jason and Addy, I think wrote it. Um, it's called Rendering on the Web that explains like the spectrum of options that you have and why re entirely client-side rendering everything is not necessarily a good idea. That being said, it's not necessarily a bad idea because the short answer to that question is it depends. I know everyone hates that answer, but it's true. If what I'm building is a, but, but it's, it's true. That's the thing. Like, so whenever we are struggling with giving an answer is it depends and there's like much more context needed, but we can't discuss this for an entire day. I can't, like sit here with you all uh, for the next week and have a workshop on like what we are trying to do for this one specific customer of yours. Um, what we can do though is to, I can say if it's a very highly interactive dynamic application with a lot of interaction, then yes, 
yes, client-side rendering is your thing. I worked at a startup before that th uh, did like an interactive 3D rendering of spaces as in like offices or, or uh, apartments or something. Um, that is super interactive. There's not much you can do in terms of server-side rendering. But even they did server-side rendering. That's the thing. And then people are like, huh? how does that go? Like an image for each of these uh, apartments or offices or whatever, where you at least see like the rough, you get an, a rough idea of how the, the space looks like. Um, what we can do and we should probably do is we should have the server give out an HTML file that has that image. And then as the JavaScript triggers, we can then progressively load and render the 3D rendering. What we did and that was fantastic. Um, so like server-side rendering is dependent on what you're trying to accomplish, but think outside of the box and try to basically go like, what's the core value that I'm trying to get across? What is the, the, co the core thing that I need my user to do? And then what are all the fluffy things around it? There was a thread re recently on Twitter where a very popular uh, CSS developer and, and coach and speaker, uh, a web developer really, um, was like, there's this image website that shall go unnamed for this podcast, but there's this image website. Its purpose is to show me an image. What it does is it downloads, I don't know how many megabytes of JavaScript and then 100 element or 100 network requests in, it starts downloading the image. So like it does 100 network requests before it starts even, down, even trying to download the freaking image. Um, and that's your core purpose as an image uploading and sharing website, your right. core purpose is to show me the image that I clicked on, not load JavaScript. So if, if we can do this and then, then it comes about and user experience, I would always say user experience trumps developer experience. That doesn't mean that we can completely disregard that. And there are tools that give you the opportunity to have a good developer experience while not having a shit user experience. We're just not doing it because developers are like, oh, this is fantastic. I just install the CLI tool, run five commands, then run my, write my actual code and my tests. And hey, here we are. We have 100% test coverage on the things that I build. And we have done all the feature requests. Uh, everything is in. We have a few bugs that we need to fix. But the website is there. And I'm like, it's not because I need a very recent phone hit uh, in a reasonable amount of time, especially if you're like in Germany or somewhere, then like the well, internet, is, um, it's broken. And they're like, oh, I don't think so. Um, so like the biggest, the biggest don't is just blindly do whatever is the easiest. Try to figure out what is a reasonable tool for the job and how can you incorporate that into what you're doing. Now, I know a lot of people are stuck with existing projects and then obviously Switching something that is client-side rendered to server-side rendering in some variant, and I'm aware of it. I still think it's one of the best investments you can make. Server-side to client-side? Um, at least not entirely relying on client-side rendering. Okay. So, so like you, what, what I would, I think is probably the best trade-off is to have some server-side uh, rendered primary content for the image sharing portal that would be the freaking image that I want to look at and then use the JavaScript to load all the interactivity afterwards. Mm -hmm. So you do risk a little bit of uh, a situation where a bunch of the interface might be disabled, but at least like the core value is delivered and then everything else comes later. And yeah. that's possible. 
Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing for me is, like, you, you had mentioned something, I think it was in a talk with John uh, a few months ago that I had never thought of about before, but, like, with page speed, right, you have a thousand different metrics that you can look at, right? Um, but, you know, um, when trying to, yeah, I think your point was that there's no single number to look at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, if you have something that you're going to need to interact with, then it's time to interact it. If you have something that you're wanting to read, then it's uh, first contemptible paint, right? Um, yeah. Which should be your primary metric to to look at. Um, the thing with JavaScript in general for me is that, you know, it's the shiny object. And I know it's, 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 um, uh, um, it's been around, right? It's not the shiny new object, it's, but it is the shinier object, right? And I think, you know, I, I remember 10 years ago when I had clients come to me and ask like, hey, should I do WordPress or Drupal, right? And I'm like, well, there's literally like a, a WordPress developer living on every street corner, right? So that may be the one that you want to go to. Um, do you have any advice for that? Because I've had clients that have, you know, uh, JavaScript is a pretty rapidly changing ecosystem, right? Uh, I think there are some obviously winners out there right now, but um, uh, um, do you, yeah, do you have any advice for like if the company's deciding on what to lock into now, right? As you said earlier, you know, their developers are going to come with what they're used to, right? I've already developed in this and I had to launch CLI, get everything going. Right, but that may, but that's that's a decision driven off, driven upon their familiarity, not what is best forward thinking for the company. That depends on the experience of your developers. Like, if your developers are good, then they don't make it about their familiarity with something. Something um, they so. My best recommendation is a little more elaborate as well. So what I so I was I was literally in that situation a couple of years ago. Uh, a, the company I worked for decided to um, completely redo the web client that they had. Uh, and then I was, I was like sitting there and looking at the other developers in the team and we're like, okay, we need to figure out what we're going to go with. Uh, every one of us has a certain preference um, and we have experience with each. So let's figure out first before we look into this, uh, what are the criteria, what's the criteria that we look at in terms to like what makes a thing useful. And then it's like, okay, so what's the community adoption looking like? Um, how simple is it to interoperate with things that are not the thing? Um, and how easy it is to like deal with uh, the, the, the tooling as well itself? Is it like, do we have to learn a completely different uh, set of tools? Do we have to um, deal with a with a completely uh, undocumented new thing that is just evolving, or do we have something where we can already like see that we can build upon it, uh, and there is prior art that we can look at, and there's uh, ecosystem activity, and we looked at the the three things that we thought were probably we looked at more than than just three frameworks, but we came out with a short list of three frameworks. Uh, one was um, actually four. AngularJS, the old one, Angular, which was the new thing up and coming. It wasn't, it, it, I think it was in the re release candidate at the time. Um, 
then uh, we had React, and then we had Vue.js. For the team that we worked with, and this is, this is where the it depends comes in, right? Um, the team that we worked with, most of them were experienced JavaScript developers, but they haven't really worked with any framework beforehand. They were stuck in the jQuery back, uh, backbone world, and for them it was the big jump. So that was, was a consideration that we had to make. We already knew from experience that uh, a bunch of them were really, really, really reluctant to working with type languages. And that's okay. Um, there's pros and cons to type languages. That's, that's a completely different rabbit hole to fall into. Um, it was just the observation was that we knew that the team that we would be uh, training on the thing that we go with would not enjoy working with a type system or a type language. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we needed reliability. And then it's like, okay, so Angular, the old Angular is basically discontinued with no migra clear migration path to the new thing. The new thing isn't done yet. As in mm. like, they, they are not ready yet. There's uh, lots of documentation still missing. Uh, there was, I mean, that was like years ago. Now uh, that's a safe choice to make. It's just a choice that you need to make uh, deliberately rather than accidentally, right? Um, so like they were not ready. So these two options fell off the cliff immediately. So like Angular was out from the get-go for us. That doesn't mean that it's not a good framework. It's just it didn't fit our team because it comes with TypeScript. Yes, you can use Angular too without TypeScript, but then you have to work around a bunch of stuff that is not necessarily best documented and not necessarily a well-lit path, as you would say. Right. So instead of like leading our developers into a dark corner of the park, we're like, okay, so if that's not their well-lit path, if they say the well-lit path is a typed language, and that's a no-no for our developers. Next thing. And, and we knew that we could build something successfully without TypeScript because we have done it beforehand. So, hmm. um, and it's like, okay, right. So then we have React and Vue.js. And then we looked at that. And it's like, okay, so React has a lot of popularity. It is being pushed by uh, Facebook, which is a large player. Um, it is also doing things its own way. As in like, yes, it is very interoperable with everything web, but it has its very own idioms. Um, yes, you can use it without JSX, but again, the well-lit path is to not use it without JSX. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're like, oh, okay, do we, are, we, are we willing to make the commitment to that specific tooling ecosystem and the entire community that is behind it? Yes or no? There were a bunch of uh, um, things, and then we like built a few prototypes actually because we weren't sure. The build prototype was, a, as I said, an experienced React developer uh, available for this. So like they they helped us build a prototype. Um, we tried things out, and then we noticed that integrating certain thirds not straightforward. It is possible. It's just not straightforward because React does things its own way in certain ways, or at least was in the time uh, we were evaluating it. So it's like, okay, yeah, so React is a tricky one. So that, what about Vue.js? You notice, oh, Vue.js just builds upon standard DOM and, and standard web component technologies. So like, yeah, that's not a problem. We could integrate everything that we needed to integrate really quickly and easily. And um, we gave React and Vue to a few of the developers on the team. And it became clear that they preferred to work with Vue. With Vue. Yeah. And, and I've heard lo and behold, we were, sorry? I've heard, a, yeah, I've heard a lot uh, of preference for Vue lately just because of the ease. 
that's but that's not the that's not the lesson that's not the lesson i want people to take away from this the lesson i want to take people away from this is like evaluate really spend yes. the time give it the go uh interview the team that you would have working with it because if they don't like the tool you are fighting an uphill battle mm-hmm. uh if if they are making irrational arguments which can happen because we are all humans we have our feelings as well we are basically houseplants with complicated feelings um if they have irrational problems or or uh, fears or or resistances then you have to work out those things for i be considered potentially dealing with the type language issue if if it wasn't for the other factors that that got angular off the table we might have um, would have spent time on educating them on type languages but the the thing was quite clear for us was that uh, vuejs is the tool that we can be successful with in this given project in the given constraints of the project and with the developers that we would be working with evaluate these things find your constraints find your characteristics that you need to deal with and take the time to figure out what is the tool that fits right if you are building a skyscraper you probably use different tools than if you're building a shed right yeah i think i think that's where the i mean obviously you're very sophisticated with development and very knowledgeable about all the different aspects um, I guess that's one thing that, that concerns me a little bit is because, you know, we've had clients before coming to us that have made decisions to, you know, oh, JavaScript is cool, right? That's it. Like it's seen as the next thing, right? If you're mm-hmm. developing in PHP, obviously that's a really old language or Ruby. It's just, it's they're seen as old. JavaScript is new, right? So th- I guess that's, my commentary there is I'm not sure that there is a clear definition of that focus on saying, you know, Oh yeah. yeah. You know, there's all this cool stuff and it's like, let's go for cool, but let's not actually say what do we need? Right. There there is a bubble. I mean, look at it from the other side. um, Everyone's like, Oh, PHP is terrible and dead. And WordPress is like, not great. 30% of the websites are on a WordPress. Right. That's just the reality of it. I think like the big. It's, I think if I remember correctly, it's like the biggest uh, content management system there is in terms of sites that are using it. And yes, sure, there there are websites that are built on the JavaScript frameworks and the latest and greatest. But yeah, it's a it, there is a bit of hype involved in this, and I'm I'm looking forward to see when this hype comes down back to earth a little bit. Yeah. And um, yeah, on the other hand, not everyone's going to fall into a hole of terror and pain by using the latest <laughs> JavaScript framework if they're just using it right. But that's something that a lot of people skip. So if, if they make this decision because developers want the new shiny, then at least come with an with a array of questions prepared as in like, okay, so do we know how this performs on an old phone? Have we run this on a uh, um, uh, web page test? Have we seen how web page tests speaks about this application that we built here do we know if seo is going to be a problem does does the website um, that they create get rendered is it is there anything that we can look into like are there any any showcase websites yeah can, uh, um, how do they perform across these these things um how familiar are we with uh the like using these tools at scale because you're probably not going to build a sing- single page app with like five different views, you're probably going to build something larger. 
And then normally developers find that they don't have an answer to these questions, but developers are really good at researching and finding data points. Yeah. Uh, so like right. let them build a prototype, let them try things out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a question a little bit about um, kind of AMP and JavaScript. So, you know, as an SEO, Google pushes AMP, you know, a, a lot just for, you know, mobile speed, things like that. And going from the performance side, like I was anti-AMP most of my life. <laughs> I've been coming around the corner now since it has been, it's been growing. Um, and one of the things I know with like AMP script, you can add in now JavaScript libraries and, and things like that to it, where before it was locked down. Um, I don't know if there's anything like, should I still be kind of hesitant or should I like really think that, you know, with AMP script and things like that, that we should be going full bore on things like AMP? Uh, so I have a official opinion and I have my personal opinion on AMP. This is a really tricky one. So I think AMP is great because it showed that uh, if we are not doing stupid shit, then the web can be fast and great. So... <laughs> And it, it, what it has done is it has given um, developers an, a lever or, or some leverage to say like, look, if we want to do this, then we can't do this kind of stupid shit and this kind of do stupid shit because then we would not be AMP compliant. So I think for that, it is great. Um, it also tries to solve a lot of problems that are really, really hard to solve. So I'm excited to see where AMP is going. Um, I would just conclude with it out, give it a go, uh, have a look at what you can do with it and have a look at where the weaknesses are because AMP is a tool and it has weaknesses and it has things where I'm not excited about or that I'm not excited about. I understand where they come from. They are not um, evil spirit or whatever. It's just like a bunch of it is just really, really tricky engineering. Um, and some of it just can't be done that easily. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. I, I value the engineering effort that we put into this and I and continue to put into this. And I value what we're doing and how we're trying to do it as much in the open as possible. Um, I do understand the backlash just as well. Um, but yeah, I can't, there's no simple answer like yay or nay. It's just like, it's a tool. It can yeah. be used this way or that way. And if, if it fits what you're trying to accomplish, then go for it. And I think yeah. like, especially if you're dealing with publishers, I think publishers are the main target audience for it. If you ask me, mm. if you would ask someone from the AMP team, they'd be like, no, everyone is the target audience. AMP is the greatest thing ever. And that's good because I, that tells me that they believe in what they're doing. Um, and they can, they can be proud of, of everything they do. It's just, it's a tool. It's not the next web. It's not going to replace the regular web. It's using web technologies. That's yeah. a good decision, but it depends. Oh God, I said it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the real issue I always had with it was that I spent so much time getting away from like mobile subdomains to then get, yeah. to have AMP to say, oh no, we do need two versions of your site again. Um, which I think now you know, AMP's getting to a point where you can create your whole desktop and mobile format into it. Um, yeah. But but I agree. I think yeah. some of it is, one reason I kind of like to push it with some of my clients is, is to remove some of that stupid stuff that slows the site down. Like, why am I loading five megabytes exactly. of JavaScript for your homepage that has no functionality except yeah. for me to get to your deeper pages, right? So, yeah. um, and, yeah. and I think AMP solves some it's, of that. It's a fantastic shortcut right across that, yeah. Exactly. 
so I did want to uh, start kind of wrapping up the the episode, but before we before we let you go, Martin, I know Jr. has uh, one last question. So the dreaded other error uh, responses in Search Console uh, for uh, well, it's essentially redirection error and other error uh, when you're looking at page resources in Search Console. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a we have a have a client that you know all of a sudden you know we were rendering pages in Search Console and all they're all broken right there's like this huge icon at the top right uh, and all the CSS and styling and then we found out that um, that they were essentially you know cache busting and then just throwing away the old resources right. Uh, when they mm -hmm. cache busted, which meant that when Google came back to render, they were rendering with 404 resources and everything was broken, right? Um, but trying to get like something that I could put in front of a developer and say, here's the issue, right, is different because it's happening on Google servers and then we see kind of a little window into this. Mm, um, yeah. But going through that process, um, it was a lot, right? Because you know, with the new render bot, the, like, I think it used to be when I would, like, I always had a version of Chrome 41, right? And then uh, on, on my laptop, right? I've had that forever, right? And then I could pull up something and I could see an issue in Search Console, right? And I could load it in Chrome 41 and the console errors were the same, right? I'd be like, oh, okay, and then you can debug that problem from there. Um, I think that's been a little more difficult with the new Search Console because there are different errors like um, uh, WebSocket connection errors. Um, but the, the most mysterious errors for me are um, like the other errors, right? Uh, uh, and the uh, redirection errors, right? And the redirection errors happen on Google scripts, right? I think it's just a 302 yeah. redirection that's calling an error, right? Can you talk at, at, at all about those and how uh, you, uh, I guess, SEOs or developers that are wanting to use this tool or uh, the, um, um, the rich, uh, rich results or the mobile friendly test when they're seeing those things like what can they ignore what could they possibly be uh, what would they look at or should are they just fine and that Google's just saying hey there's some stuff here but uh, we don't need it right Eric, does that make sense yeah yeah, it makes sense. Um, that's a that's a, a fantastic question because it's one that comes up very often. And if you want, I like tricky ones. I like tricky questions. Okay, so here's the thing: um, the mobile friendly test, the rich results test, and the URL inspection tool are fantastic tools. Um, even for me as a developer, because I get to I get to see the the console messages and screenshot, and if it was broken, then it's like mm, tough luck. Uh, now I get to see a little more of that. I can uh, plug, especially in the mobile friendly test and rich results test, I can do a prox and, and see like how my local development version fares. Um, but 
there are obviously limitations. So the nice thing is that you get the rendering as the Googlebot would render, as in like you get a rendering from the web rendering service. Great. There is, is um, that, see, this is, this is, now I'm not thinking about like where, do, where does policy go. Now I'm thinking like what is the right layer of abstraction to talk about. I'll just risk it tonight because I'm, it's like Friday evening, so why not? I go, I go, whenever you're seeing this podcast, just enjoy it because I'm going risky now. Um, let's see if this backfires. When we render for the indexing pipeline, let's say like the indexing pipeline is a bunch of steps that run in parallel and they can run multiple times if they need to run multiple times. So for instance, what can happen is uh, that we have detected a high host load on your server because it's Black Friday and everyone is on your e-commerce website. Um, or just generally like we have determined a certain threshold of, of data that we can like put on your server. The mobile friendly as in like it doesn't deduct from it, but it basically it respects the limits. So whenever the mobile friendly test or any of the testing tools thinks like, ooh, we're not sure if we should be putting load on the server right now. It rather goes defensive and aborts. That does happen in indexing as well, but there it's not as bad. A, we have uh, quite strict caching when we really, like when the real indexing pipeline runs, it is quite good at caching most of the things. And then also it tries to get a new version. If it doesn't work, then it uses something from its own cache. Cool. Uh, it does a bunch of really funky stuff when it comes to caching. That's a completely different rabbit hole to go into. Um, and also when it fails fetching resources and then the render looks weird, then it can just like reschedule the render for later and then try again. So in the real indexing run, it doesn't really make that much of an impact if there are some problems like fetching something from the server, fetching some specific resource, because A, we might fall back to a cached version of it, or B, uh, we might just retry it after a while. This is not a problem. This is a non-issue really. However, what if you're sitting in front of the testing tool? Very different story. First things first, we don't want to use cache when we're testing. That would defeat the purpose of this uh, testing tool because we want you to see the latest results as if we would run this fresh now. So we are skipping caching. Skipping caching is a slightly different code path that we go to get into the web rendering service. That led to some of the discrepancies between uh, the old and the new rendering and why we took to actually update the testing tools as well. Um, but we also, we don't cache, uh, we, we cannot wait. We, we cannot, we, there's no way for us in the testing tool to say like, check back in two hours when we have retried this. It's more like in, in 20 minutes or we, do, we don't know. We, we just schedule the drops like, okay, we need to retry rendering. This re rendering attempt failed, uh, we need to retry it. That can happen, in, can happen in an hour. I can't let you wait an hour. I have to show you something. So what the testing tools try to do is they try to figure out what is the cause of the error. This might be an error that you wouldn't actually incur, uh, um, encounter when we are really indexing the page. So like indexing will not be affected because we're going to retry the rendering. It'll be fine, cool, just move on. Nice. Um, you encounter it in the testing tool though. And then the thing is, uh, because the entire index a lot of steps, it's basically one piece of software calling another piece of software, calling another piece of software, calling another piece of software. In this chain, it's a little bit of a game of telephone. Some stuff gets lost, uh, especially things where you don't think they are important. 
for instance, one of the, like you basically shout into a black void, please render this. And back comes time out. And then you're like, what time out? I, I don't know what, what is this timeout now as a developer, you should not care because that's a problem that the indexing type pipeline would deal with. You would not even experience this. You would not see this. You would not be affected by this. When you are using the testing tool, you are affected by this because that's the error that you get back or that the testing tool gets back. But then we don't know is like, what, what are we telling you? Are we telling you timeout? Because then you'll be like my server timed out. No, that's not true. And you're right. It's not true. It wasn't your server. It was the box number four out of a chain of five that had a timeout for whatever reason. Maybe because there was maintenance. Maybe there was a new version being deployed at the time. Maybe solar wins. Who knows? So timeout, that would be misleading because we don't know what kind of timeout that is. So a lot of the information that we get back, where it's unclear where it comes from. It's useful for us to internally debug it, but it's either unclear what we would communicate to you or where it would come from in a way like we can't necessarily distinguish is this something that is actionable for you or is this something that is not actionable for you because a timeout that happens somewhere in our pipeline is not actionable for you there's nothing you can do about it well you can run the test again okay cool but there's nothing you specifically need to do because that's a problem on our side and we'll fix it and you would not necessarily even encounter it when you would actually index the website um, so then we don't know what to tell you other than other error, okay. which is unfortunate. Yeah. There are some problems in that bucket that are actionable. And what we are working on right now is figuring out how to break out the actionable ones from the non-actionable ones as much as we can so that you get a more helpful error message. A bunch of the other error is also literally just infrastructure wildness that you shouldn't be exposed to. Uh, that we are working on reducing. But yeah, so that if you encounter the error, error, it's a bit of a tricky one and I don't have a good answer for developers besides like, look at the errors that you're getting. If you are sure that the resources exist uh, and you are sure that the resources can be obtained and fetched and it renders fine in your browser, it should render fine on our side as well, unless there's like something more major that like if you see a robotic resource that is important, then that's something that you should probably look into. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, this is a tricky one. And then it's also just like check if the page stays in the index or if it shows up with errors or something like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we are trying our best to untangle the actionable feedback from that non-actionable feedback. What the reasonable piece where the resources were cache busted and then timing out and then for that matter being 404. Um, whereas, yeah, there's the actionable things that we need to like separate out. Is redirection error 302? I'm not sure because I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that in a long while. I would have to like double check before I say something about the okay. redirection error. Okay. <laughs> right. Thank you. That was, that, was, that was good to know. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm sorry that I have to like give these long-winded answers. It's just like... We understand. I'm working, I'm working through layers and layers of abstractions, like figure out, okay, so how can I put this into reasonable terms without confusing people out there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's Trust a... Trust me, it all makes sense internally. It's just like <laughs> externally tricky. There's an, there's an incredible amount of complexity. And I think like even I know my, for myself, I struggle sometimes leveling things up to make them 
less complex and easier to, to understand than they are. But um, just wanted to say, uh, wanted to, to put a bow on the episode. Uh, and Martin, I wanted to thank you for uh, spending a little bit of what is your Friday night uh, with us when you probably could be, could be doing much more fun things. Um, JR also wanted to uh, thank you for, for coming on and um, just, yeah, thank you for being candid. Uh, JR, thank, thank you for you. having yeah. me. Thank you Thank for you. asking amazing questions, Jr. And uh, yeah, have a good uh, have a good Friday night. <laughs> have a magical Friday. Night. Oh, <laughs> 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 Love it. Sorry, I could not resist. I have it lying around here, and I'm like, oh, I should probably like pull that this That was up. awesome. <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel. If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.